Well, good morning. Uh, I want to start this morning by saying how much of a privilege it is for me to be able to bring the Word of God to you. Um, I was talking to a friend uh, the other night, and he was asking me, well, are you a little bit nervous about, you know, sharing? And I said, well, I said, I'm usually up here, you know, with the worship team, so I said, I think it'll be fine. And then uh, in first service, I admitted that, yeah, I'm pretty nervous. And uh, then I was thinking, well, I just did this once, so I should be fine for this service. Um, But I will just say, you people are scary. (laughs) Uh, But I'll get over it, and uh, I'm actually really excited to share what the Lord has put on my heart this morning. Uh, As Levi mentioned before, we're going into a new series called None Greater, and it's all about looking at the character of God. And so what we want to do is understand who God is in a way that maybe we haven't understood him before. And so information is really the key to this, because if we have the wrong information, it gives us the wrong perspective of who God is. And then that just leads to trouble in our lives. And so what we want to do in order to get the right perspective is be in the word of God, because the Bible is our roadmap to understanding who God is. And so over the, the course of the next couple of weeks, uh, we just want to reshape and refocus um, and really dive into the word of God to get the right understanding so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus in order to love and trust him more. Um, so this morning, the title um, is God is Trustworthy. And the section of scripture that we're going to be using is, comes from 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 13. And I want to talk about the title and make a distinction here that the title is God is Trustworthy. The title is not, is God Trustworthy? And it may seem like a small rearrangement of words, but it really makes all the difference because we're not asking a question. We're not debating whether or not we can trust in the Lord. It's already a fact. It's already been proven from the beginning of time until the end of time. God is and will remain faithful. And so what we want to do and what we hope this morning is to examine together how we can better trust in the Lord. So before we get into the scripture this morning, I want to give you a little bit of background of this passage. Uh, Paul is the author of this book, Timothy, and this is actually a letter to Timothy. Um, Timothy is Paul's protege. Pre uh, Paul sitting in prison writing this letter at this time and, and pre-Paul being in prison, Timothy's been traveling around with him training for ministry. And so Paul's now sitting in prison in Rome, and he is feeling like this might be the end of his life. And so he wants to get this letter out to Timothy, uh, primarily to encourage him, uh, but also just to help him understand his position. And this isn't a long, drawn-out letter. It's more of just kind of a shotgun message. He wants to get the bullet points across to Timothy um, to kind of give him uh, the meat of what he's saying. So let's go ahead and open up. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 2, and let's read verses 1 through 13. It says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. 
The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember, Christ, or remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What a beautiful section of scripture. And I don't know if you caught that last verse, number 13 there, but spoiler alert, that is today's message. We're talking about the faithfulness of God. And I, I can't say it better than what that verse says it. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The mere fact is that it is outside the realm of possibility for the God that we serve to lie, cheat, and steal from you. He cannot gossip about you, he cannot slander you, and he can't do all of these kind of things that we as humans do on a daily basis. God cannot do those things because it goes against the very nature of who God says that he is. He will remain faithful to you regardless of your circumstances. Do I need to get a handheld maybe? He will remain faithful to you regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your thought process, regardless of who you think God is. He is the actual definition of faithfulness because he can't deny himself. Are you understanding the power of this truth? Even if you only get it a little bit, it is so powerful. And so in order to help us understand this, Paul gives us a couple examples in this passage. He gives us an example of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And as I said before, he's giving these to Timothy primarily to encourage him. And he, he tells Timothy, look, don't be discouraged because of, of where I'm at. He says, be encouraged. And he says, I want you to understand that oftentimes serving Christ means that you're going to suffer. But it doesn't matter how bad you think it is. It doesn't matter how bad you think it's going to get. It's not meaningless if your suffering is in the name of Jesus Christ. So he's telling Timothy, continue to trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. So my hope is this morning that as we look at these examples, we also will be able to better understand how to trust in the Lord. And I also want to give you a couple um, examples of lies that we often believe in regards to these examples. And what I mean by that is sometimes it's just as helpful to be able to uh, recognize a lie, knowing that it's a lie. Um, and that kind of helps us in, in distinguishing, obviously, the truth from the lie. Um, but that can be just as helpful as, as knowing the truth. And so let's go ahead and look at the first example. And I'm actually going to work backwards through the text. So we're going to look at verse 6, and we're going to go to the example of the farmer. Paul says, look at the farmer. 
He's the first one to share in the profit of the crop. And so when a farmer puts corn in the ground, he doesn't go home and wonder if some other grain is going to sprout, right? He doesn't go home and say, well, last year I put corn in and got wheat, so I'm not really sure what to expect this year. That's not how it works, right? If you put corn in the ground, you get corn. And so the same, um, the metaphor is the same in our spiritual life. And I want to take us over to Galatians 6 uh, to help us better understand this. Galatians 6, verses 6 through 8 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So the question this morning is, are you sowing seeds to satisfy your flesh or are you sowing seeds to strengthen your spirit? And this is where understanding really helps. And Paul says this in verse 7. He says, reflect on this. Reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight into all of this. Folks, don't reject the truth of who Christ is. Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead? This is the gospel for which I suffer. And this is the common lie that we often think about with this example is that Christ's faithfulness depends on my faithfulness. No, it doesn't. Look at verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. How many times do we sow seeds of discourse instead of sowing seeds of peace? How often do you tell a lie instead of tell the truth? How often do you take what isn't yours instead of giving what you have? Church, the fact is, is that you, what you and I deserve is not what we get because of the cross. When I put my trust in Christ, I don't have to reap the negative things that I've sown because the blood of Jesus covers me. What a beautiful truth. We just need to learn to live in that, right? And on the flip side of that, that doesn't give us a license uh, to do whatever we want because the cross covers us. In Romans 6, it says, what should we do? Should we still continue living in our sin so that grace, because of grace, because it covers us? It says, God forbid. We need to do our best to be faithful. Yes, we're going to fail, but that's the beauty of Christ's faithfulness to us. Let's look at the second example in verse 5. It's, it's the example of the athlete, and most of us, a lot of us, have played sports. If you haven't, I'm sure you watch sports. Um, 
So this, this will probably, uh, maybe we'll be able to relate to this on a better level. <clears throat> uh, but simply put, the object of a, uh, playing a sport is to win, right? You want to be the best. You want the trophy. And what Paul is saying here is it doesn't matter how naturally gifted you are. It doesn't matter how high you can jump, how fast you can run. If you decide to play by your own rules, you will be disqualified. And you won't even have the opportunity to compete in the championship because you decided to cheat. And what's crazy is oftentimes it's not even that we don't understand the rules. It's just that we willingly choose not to follow them. See, cheating tarnishes the purity of the game. And it reveals a lack of love and respect for the sport. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. Church, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fall short, but praise God for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, you and I are not disqualified. The cross is our motivation for why we endure. So what Paul is telling us is honor the faithfulness of God by seeking to be faithful to him. And a common lie that we see in this example is Christ's faithfulness depends on how good I am or my accomplishments. If that were true, we would have a works-based faith and we would all be working our way to heaven. Yes, do what is right. Follow the rules, but the faithfulness of Christ does not depend on you. And then lastly, we see the example of the soldier. In verse 3, Paul says, Join with me, suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now this seems like a weird thing for Paul to tell Timothy to suffer, uh, but in my mind it makes perfect sense. I served in the military for a number of years. I was in the army, and if any of you have ever served, then I'm sure that this example will make sense to you, but in case you haven't, I want to paint a picture for you to help you better understand what he's saying here. So I was in training down in North Carolina, and it gets super hot and humid down south, and um, during particularly miserable parts of training, our leadership repeated this phrase, and it will stick with me um, because it was extremely aggravating to hear. But they would say, men, embrace the suck. Can I even say that in church? <laughs> but... During moments of misery, that is what we would hear. We would hear them say that. So I have one specific memory that I want to share with you. We were doing jungle warfare training, and um, we're, you know, tired and hungry. We're constantly on the move. We're behind enemy lines. We're in the enemy's backyard, so to speak. 
and we don't have a home to go to. So at night, in order per to protect ourselves, we have to get into a perimeter of security. So you get into this big 360 degree circle and everybody has their fighting positions and that's how you protect yourselves. You're sitting ducks in the middle of nowhere. And then in order to take it one step further, you have to dig a foxhole. And a foxhole is just, it's a man-sized grave, right? You're just digging your own grave. But it serves as your bed. It serves as your protection in the event of a fight. And unfortunately, it serves as your grave, okay? Um, but anyway, so we would have to dig these foxholes. So I remember the sun's going down. It's 95 degrees out. It's 100% humidity. We're already exhausted from the events of the day. And our leadership says, all right, men, get in your fighting position. Start digging your holes. And the Army issues you this little, it's called an E-tool. It's a tiny little collapsible shovel. You can throw it in your backpack. And when you flip it open, it's about this big. It has a little tiny shovel head on it, about that big. It's a little tiny shovel built for a two-year-old, right? <laughs> and we're supposed to be digging men's size holes with this thing. It's exhausting. So the sun goes down, and it goes from 95 to 75. So you have a you know, fluctuation of temperature change. And you're soaking wet and physically exhausted from digging this hole. And now you have to lay in this wet dirt. I've never been more miserable in my life. I might as well have been lying on a block of ice. You cannot get warm. You are completely wet, lying in cold dirt, and the earth sucks the heat straight from your body. It is miserable. And then, just as you start to fall asleep on your guard shift, because it doesn't matter how miserable you are, you're still going to fall asleep, right? The enemy magically finds you and attacks you, and you have to break ranks, move to a different location, and do it all over again. And we did this for days. And what do we get told? Embrace it. Embrace it. Training to suffer so that later on in the real world, during war, our minds and our bodies would know what to do and we would be prepared. See, we might not have been able to see past our current point of misery at that time, but we had to trust in the people that were going before us that these weren't just games, training games that they were playing with us. And the same is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says, embrace suffering. You might not be able to see past the struggle that you're in right now, but it is producing something in you. You might think that it serves no purpose at all, but God remains faithful. Church, in the Bible, in Ephesians, it says that Satan is the ruler of this world. You are in the enemy's backyard. 
If Jesus is king of your life, at some point you will suffer in his name. Maybe not to the extent that Paul is suffering. But this is the reason why we as the church need one another. You are my battle buddies. I need you when I am wet, tired, cold, and hungry, when I start believing the lies of the enemy, I need you to lovingly redirect me back to the truth of God. I don't know if you've noticed our social and political landscape right now, but when you need to take a stance against sin and against evil because of the way that Christ has called us to live, you will be hated for it. And this is the lie that we often believe. Well, Jesus wouldn't let me suffer. Church, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, come to the meadow and pick daisies with me. But here's the hope and here's the redemption in this. You are not alone. You have one far greater living in you than he that is in the world. Do not allow the amount of suffering that you endure in this life to act as the gauge of whether or not you can believe in Jesus. I want to take a minute to look at the relationship that Jesus had with the Heavenly Father because that is the example and the picture that we need to have in our relationship with Christ. The only way that you and I can build trust with somebody is by getting to know them, right? You wouldn't send your kids with somebody for the night that you've never met. You wouldn't give your bank information to a complete stranger on the street. Why? Because you don't have an established relationship with that person. You don't know what their character is like. You don't know where they come from. You don't know what kind of habits, good or bad, they have. You don't know anything about them. You could be the most reliable and trustworthy person that I have ever met, but I don't know that because I don't have a relationship with you. The same is true with our relationship with Jesus. How much time do you spend getting to know Christ's character? What does he promise me? How does he tell me to live my life? What kind of things displease God? You aren't going to know the answers to those questions unless you get in his word. It starts with the Bible. It starts right here and with prayer. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, he was in the garden pleading with God, saying, God, don't send me. Don't send me to the cross. Is there another way? There's got to be another way. He was sweating blood. And it's not because of the thought of being crucified. 
he knew that he was going to take on the full wrath and punishment of God. Have you stopped to think about this? Jesus, knowing that he is the sacrificial lamb and the bridge between you and I spending eternity, eternity with the Father, was in the garden that night saying, God, please, please make another way. And he reluctantly yet willingly went because he knew that God the Father was worthy of being trusted. He is worthy. So if you're here this morning and you think, well, I'm not sure. I don't know if I can trust the Lord. I've had too many bad things happen to me in my life. Let me point you to the cross. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be our sin. He who knew no sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Does that sound like faithfulness? And here's the final point. I want to go back to verses 11 through 13. This is the culmination of the text, and I opened with it, and I want to close with it because it's so powerful. Let's read it again, verse 11. It says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And this is kind of the scary part, but here's the truth, church. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Don't refuse the truth of who Christ is. Church, don't allow the circumstances in your life to prevent you from coming and trusting in the Father. There will be no greater joy for you and for I than to live our lives in accordance with how God has called us to live. To be faithful. And here's the hope in verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. That is our hope, folks. We are going to fall, but Christ remains faithful to us. I want to reread this last verse, verse 13, in a different way. If the God that we serve was any other God, this is how verse 13 would read. If we are faithless, he is faithless. That's it. Every other religion that we see dictates that you must do X, Y, or Z in order to earn your salvation. Church, this is not true of the God that we serve. The God we serve says that when you fail, when you question, when you doubt, he remains faithful to you. It's okay for you to sometimes question God. It's okay for you to wonder, to be frustrated. 
It's okay for you to wonder why God has allowed hurtful things to happen to you in your life, but his faithfulness to you and I has never changed. When you're down in the valley, when all feels lost, when you and I are faithless, he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. Can you comprehend Christ's character and the beauty in that? You can trust in the faithfulness of Christ because the trustworthiness of God does not waver based on how much pain and suffering you've endured in this life. It doesn't change because of how good you think you are or how faithful that you think that you've been. The reason that you can trust in Jesus is because the wrath of God that you and I deserve because of our distrust and our disobedience was instead poured out on Jesus Christ at the cross because of his love for you and for me. That is why you can trust him. The band can come up. And I want to leave you with this last thought. We can trust him when we know him. And to know him is to trust him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe it this morning, that we wouldn't just hear it, God, but we would believe in who you say that you are. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that even when we go off on our own way and we stray from you, Lord, that you remain faithful to us. Thank you for your sacrifice for us, God, and for making a way to spend eternity with you. Thank you for your example. Thank you for being a good, good father to us, Lord Jesus. Help us trust in you more. In Jesus' name, amen.